Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. When God had given David peace and rest from all his enemies, David considered how he himself lived in a fine and sturdy house, but the ark of God was still in the tabernacle, a portable tent-like temple. And so he said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Nathan originally gave David his blessing to build a temple. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan, saying, Tell my servant David, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and when you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This was the first promise that God made to David at, that his throne would last forever. This was the beginning of his covenant with David and his house. And this promise is repeated throughout the scriptures afterwards. In 1 Kings it says, the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And Psalm 89 says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And later on it says, his seed also I will make to endure forever and his throne is the days of heaven. And yet again, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. These promises were given to David and to his descendants, and they were held in high esteem by the people and by those same descendants. They knew the Lord was faithful and that he would keep his promises. However, there were very few kings like David. In fact, the majority of them were unfaithful kings themselves, setting up pillars to Baal and Asherah, who were pagan idols from the surrounding nations, persecuting the true prophets while promoting false prophets who tickled their ears with false words, ignoring the true worship of God and indulging in hypocritical worship that was not rooted in trust, but only done for the sake of appearances, exploiting and burdening the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner, while favoring their friends and the wealthy. Yes, very quickly, the sons of David became like the kings and rulers of the Gentile nations. In the time when Jeremiah spoke our prophecy today, Jehoiakim was king. He was the son of Josiah, one of the few good kings, who restored the true worship of the temple and who held a Passover, which had not been held in the correct way almost since the time they came into Israel. However, Jehoiakim did not follow in his father Josiah's footsteps, 
But instead, he committed abominations and did not trust in the Lord God, but sought out foreign alliances, putting trust in the strength of the army of Egypt over the protection of God. He and his friends and allies exploited the people and ran roughshod over them, not caring about the poor, the lowly, and the despised, but only thinking of their own gain. Therefore, God spoke through Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out of the gates of Jerusalem. For I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth, that you did not obey my voice. The wind shall eat up your rulers, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness. Despite God's warnings to him, despite him speaking to him through the prophets, Jehoiakim would not listen. It seemed that the only word of God that he would listen to was this, Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. He thought, as many of the kings before him did, since God is faithful and he has said this, I can do what I want. I can act however I want. God will keep my throne secure. Of course, this was not true. God punished Jehoiakim severely for his sins and stubborn disobedience. Jehoiakim thought he could use the promises of God as cover for sin. This kind of thinking is uh, around a lot all the way from the time of Israel into the New Testament. It's the kind of thinking that St. Paul condemned when he writes to the Romans, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So let us take heed, lest we also think, since God is faithful to his promises and he promises to forgive, let us sin now and be sorry later. No, such thinking is fleshly, not spiritual. It's contrary to what God has called us to and shows a lack of fear, love, and trust in him. Such thinking is dangerous to faith and may indeed put it out. And so Jeremiah spoke of the judgments which were coming upon the house of David. And for many who heard them and for many who saw what was happening around them, it would have certainly looked like God was not going to fulfill his promises. It looked as if he was going back on them. After all, the king was going to go to his death without mourning, dying outside of Jerusalem just like his brother before. And his sons would go and die in captivity. It certainly didn't look good. What was going to happen if the kingdom fell? Israel, the northern kingdom, had already fallen by this point, and its people had been driven out to the four corners of the earth. How could God keep his promise if there was no king in Jerusalem? How could the house of David stand forever if the kingdom was going to be torn down by God himself? How could what was once a glorious oak flourish if it was cut down to the roots, leaving only a stump? There were many people wavering, not just in the royal house, not just in the palace, but everyday people. Such doubt would have eaten away at their faith and trust in God. And so he speaks through his prophet Jeremiah, 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. God did not forget his promises to David. He did not forget his people. Instead, he was going to do something so great in the fulfillment of this promise that it would surpass their thoughts. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. God used this language of a branch later on in Zechariah, where he says in one place, Behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. And in another, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. This branch is called thus because he will come from the stump of the tree of David. He will begin small like a tender shoot, but his reign will grow immensely and expand. He will branch out. What was reduced to a stump will grow up again into a magnificent tree laden with fruit and home to the birds of the air. This branch of righteousness is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. He is called the branch of righteousness because he is righteous in and of himself. He is the branch of righteousness because of his perfect righteousness, for he has lived in perfect conformity to the will of God, obedient to the law, obedient to death, even death upon a cross. And he is also called the branch of righteousness because not only is he righteous, but his righteousness makes others righteous through what he has done. He is the tree into which we are grafted so that his righteousness is credited to us by faith. And we receive from him life, and through that life fruit is produced. Yes, apart from him we can do nothing, as he says in John, but in him we have all the promises of God fulfilled, and we find life and salvation. The Lord continues to speak of this branch through Jeremiah, saying, A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. The Lord promised that he would send a king who will reign, and this king is the very same branch, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he does not promise that he will send a line of kings, or king after king after king, so that the throne is always occupied. No, he says that he will send a king. And indeed, there were many years between Jeremiah and the birth of Jesus Christ when there was no king descended from David. There were kings, but they were not of the house of David. Yes, it would be one king who fulfills this. As he later says to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. He shall not lack man to sit on the throne, for one man will sit on that throne forever. This one will reign for eternity. And Jesus, as this promised king, will not be like the kings of old. He will not be partial. He will not lead astray. 
He will not look after his own interests and not consider others. Even the good kings like David and Solomon, Hezekiah and Josiah will be surpassed by his glory, righteousness, and the goodness of his reign. They made fair and good judgments, and Solomon was renowned for the wisdom of his judgments. But Christ's reign will bring perfect justice and perfect righteousness, not just to Israel, but to the world. Behold, the king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Jesus, as this king in fulfillment of this prophecy, was promised to save his people. As he, and he did, dying not only for the sins of Judah and Israel, but even for the sins of the whole world. He is the light to the nations and the glory of Israel, as Simeon sings in his song when he held the infant Jesus in his arms in the temple. He is the fulfillment of all that Israel was meant to be, of all that Israel was to point to. He is their end and their glory. For all the patriarchs and prophets, kings and covenants, temple and worship were put in place by God for this purpose, that Jesus Christ being born would live, be crucified and rise again so that he would reign and prosper, execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And even now he reigns, but when he returns in the last day and his kingdom is come in its fullness, then all the earth shall know his perfect and righteous reign. Now we live under Jesus our King, and we live in his kingdom, but not perfectly, for we also live in the fallen world. Now we daily struggle with sin and fight against it. We face death and disease and all the effects which sin has wrought in us. We strive to obey, but our obedience is not perfect, and we fall short both in what we have done and what we have left undone. The sinful flesh still clings to us and puts stumbling blocks before us. The devil still tempts us and perplexes us, and the world still puts before us its allures. In the midst of all of this, we still cling to Jesus, our King, our righteousness. Cling to him by faith, so that according to his grace, he forgives our sins. But know, brothers and sisters, that in the new creation, in the resurrection, it will not be like it is now. In the new creation, there will be no struggle over sin. In the new creation, the righteous reign of Jesus, the flesh will not war against the spirit, but both will be in perfect harmony. What we strive to do now we will do effortlessly, following him in perfect obedience and righteousness, innocence and blessedness. Then, as he executes judgment and righteousness in the earth, we will see all sin put away forever, the devil thrown into the hell of fire prepared for him and his angels, and we will find our complete and perfect salvation, so that we will dwell safely in Jesus' presence forevermore with all the saints, with all the Israel of God. This is all possible because of what he has done. This is all foretold in this prophecy where it says, This is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Yes, this glorious name conveys to us the great story of salvation in Jesus. He is the Lord. He is divine. He is not just any king, but he is the king of kings whose throne is forever in the heavens. 
Yet he is also a man, born in the flesh, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who was descended from David, just as her betrothed Joseph was. As the angel said to Mary, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Thus he is both God and man. And so he is the perfect mediator between God and man. In his afflictions, Job said to God, or said of God, sorry, he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, and there that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. This is because God is separate from his creation. There's no middle ground between creator and creation. Job spoke the truth, but there is none who can touch both God and man. That is why God came into the flesh by sending his son to be made man. The Son of God, the second person of the most holy and undivided Trinity, became man that there might be a mediator between God and man, so that as God and man, Jesus might lay his hand on us both to reconcile us together. As St. Paul wrote to St. Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. By taking on the flesh, by becoming man, by taking upon himself our sins and going to the cross, he made satisfaction for our sins. Because he is both God and man in one person, his death is of infinite worth. And so his blood is the propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. Thus he has made peace with God. We were at enmity with him because of our sins, separated from him, opposed to him, so that even if we were inclined to reach out to him, we could never make up for our sins. We could never become righteous. But Jesus paid the debt we owe, and for us was stricken that we might no longer be enemies of God, but so that through faith in his Son we might be made his children. Yes, surely Jesus is the Lord our righteousness, for he is our righteousness. His righteousness is accounted to us through faith in him so that God declares us justified, declares us righteous in his sight because of what Jesus has done for us by his innocent life and death as satisfaction for our sins. Thus we receive the forgiveness of sins through faith in him. So in him, our righteousness, we and all the faithful are saved and dwell safely trusting that for his sake our sins are forgiven, trusting that he is gracious and merciful, and that by his mercy he looks with favor upon our good works done in faith, which the Holy Spirit works in us. Even the impurities of our good works he forgives, leaving only that which is good, so that when Jesus our King, the Lord our righteousness, returns, we who believe in him with repentant faith will be raised to life everlasting in his presence, where we will serve him in his kingdom, which has no end. God grant that we who have, <clears throat> God grant that what we have now by faith, we may attain in the resurrection through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was and is and is to come. 
Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.